Paul's words as we uh, are coming to the conclusion of 2 Timothy, uh, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. You know, when you live with someone long enough, you learn that there are certain things that you just can't say. There are certain phrases or words that if you say them, you know you're going to get a reaction. My mother had a handful of those phrases. One of those phrases was, you couldn't tell her you were bored. If you told my mother you were bored, that would just set her off. She'd say, there are so many wonderful things in this world to do. So many things that need to be done. And she would start listing thing, list after list of list of things that needed to be done. Washing the laundry, dusting the house, painting the baseboards. There was always something that needed to be done if you were bored. And that was always her cue to give you something to do. But another phrase was, you don't ever try to get your way or try to get something by telling her that everybody is doing it. Come on, mom, let me go. Everybody's going. And that would just set her off. That little Baptist woman who didn't at that time believe in women preaching would give a 30-minute sermon <laughs> about everybody doing it. Well, if everybody was jumping off a cliff, she would say, would you do that? I'm not sure what was going on in the 40s and 50s, but apparently there was a pandemic of jumping from bridges and cliffs that left an impression on a whole generation. But she would say, it doesn't matter if everybody's doing it. I'm not raising everybody. I'm raising you. And if I was everybody's mother, everybody wouldn't be doing it either. And on and on she would go. Well, we are reading a very intimate letter between Paul and Timothy. Paul is the spiritual father and Timothy the spiritual son. And you pick up on a very similar dynamic. Paul has, in chapter 3, just given us a long list of all the things that are going wrong in the world, of how people will be lovers of their self, and on and on and on the list goes. And then he tells Timothy, but you're not going to be that way. We didn't raise you that way, Timothy. This is what he says at the end of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." 
All scripture is God-breathed and is youthful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. From the very beginning of chapter 3, Paul has given us a list of how people will rebel against the word of God and against the authority of God. And he said hard times are going to come and people will become lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And they will talk about spiritual things, but the spirit of God is not in their life. And on and on and on his list goes. You can almost hear Paul building one on the other as he gets excited about naming all the things that he is seeing in his culture. This is the way the world is going to act. But Paul, like my mother, tells Timothy, I don't care how everybody else is acting. I don't care what everybody else is deciding. I didn't raise you that way. You know better. So how is it that Timothy knew better? Well, our text tells us, first, Paul says to Timothy, you have seen an example lived. You've seen the ministry I have had. You've been with me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. You know, in town after town, Paul would preach and people would follow him. And others listening would react differently. And they would say, this guy is turning the world upside down. And there sometimes would be a riot. Paul would be put into prison. Paul would barely escape with his life. And he says, Timothy, you were there when this happened to me. And you saw how I acted. My ministry has been validated in front of you through the preaching of the word, through the miracles of God's power. And you have seen me. You know the difference that Jesus makes in my life. You know, one of the struggles that our world has is they keep looking for someone who will show them what a Jesus life looks like. The world is not angry at us because we're different. The world is angry at us because we're not different enough. When the world wants to see the message of Jesus Christ, whether it is true or not, they will not run off to the library to check out a Bible and search the scriptures. They're going to look at you. And they're going to look at me. And they will say, well, James says that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. How does he handle it when things don't go right? How does he prioritize his marriage and family? How is he as a friend does he really show any qualitative difference in the way that he lives? Is there any difference in your life that gives evidence of Jesus Christ? Paul was telling Timothy, look at my life and you will see the change that has happened because of Jesus. Look at the life of your mother and your grandmother. Early in the letters of Timothy, Paul says, I remember Timothy. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, and I remember your mother and grandmother and the great inspiration they were to you and the influence that they had in your life and how they discipled you, Timothy. And I remember the way they poured themselves into you. Timothy, you know the quality of the people that they were. You know how much they loved Jesus. 
And you know how much they loved you. And you know the difference that that made in their lives. One of the things that gives us confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life lived truly as a follower of him. When we see someone who was living faithfully the teachings of Jesus, they inspire us, give us a lot of confidence. That's why the writers of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All of us are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Men and women who have gone on before us, who know what it is like to go through tough times when you follow Jesus. And yet, they remain faithful. They remain loyal. They remain strong. And now as witnesses, they cheer each and every one of us on. Finish the race well. Paul says, you'll stand on the same thing that I stood on, the same thing that your mother and your grandmother stood on. And then he says, secondly, Timothy, you know better because you stand on the word of God and only the word of God. Verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is youthful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, most of you know, I love to read. I love to read good books, and I hope you read books. I hope that you become a lifelong learner. And if you ever come to my study, if you come to my home, you're going to see books, books, and more books. I love to read. I read all the time. But I want you to hear me. At no time, no how, no way, at no place, does any book replace the role of Scripture in your life. If you don't have time to read but one book, you read this one. Because this is where God has breathed. And when you think of that word, breathed, it is drawing us back to an earlier account in Scripture from the very beginning of Genesis where God created the first human being and he breathes into that first being what becomes a living soul. And in the same way, God breathes into these words and these words become living words. So much when you open this book and you read God's word, God breathes into your soul these very words. Reading scripture is CPR for the soul. Because this is the book and the only book that is God breathed. And it is this book what you stand on, and what we as a church stand on alone. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Now he says, Timothy, 
If you haven't heard anything I've said in this letter, if you haven't paid attention to anything, I want you to pay attention to this. You preach the word. Do you not think that that last thing you would ever need to tell a preacher is that they need to preach? You'd be surprised. You know, one of the first lessons any pastor learns when he goes to his first church is how hard it is to find time to preach. Because let me tell you what happens. Everybody wants to make an announcement during the service. Everybody wants to have special music. Everybody wants to have a time for prayer and celebrations and informations, which typically leaves you 10 to 15 minutes to get a word in for Jesus. And sometimes you just have to fight for it. I have to say, Sam, listen, I need at least 40 to 45 minutes. I'm just warming up. You see, you have to fight for time during the week. Because there are ministerial meetings and leadership meetings and team meetings to go to and classes to be taught, Bible studies to lead, hospitals to visit, people who need counseling, homes that need visited, prospects that got to be called on. And many times the last thing you have time to do is prepare your sermon. And you'd be surprised how hard a preacher must fight to preach. Which is why I hope that you appreciate the nearly 40 years Pastor Daryl Nelson has given to this preach, this church, where he has faithfully and consistently preached the word of God week after week after week after week. He has been such a treasure to each and every one of us. And his example of his perseverance and his faithfulness to us and to the word of God encourages me. And I hope it encourages every single one of you. Paul says, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to preach. And not only do I want you to preach, I want you to preach in season and out of season. In other words, I want you to preach regardless of the time. I want you to preach regardless of the mood. I want you to preach regardless of whether you think this is a good moment or not. Because when you proclaim the word of God, this is the amazing thing. When you proclaim the word of God, preaching brings its own season. It brings its own season. When God's word is spoken, when you share God's word, things happen. And it's happened to all of us. You come into church and you don't feel good. You'd probably rather not be here. You know, sometimes you think, I can't see you. Like there's a screen between the platform and the chairs. But I see you. And I see it on many of your faces. And you sit down and you fold your arms and you look at me like, go ahead, silly man, make me laugh. <laughs> and I'll preach and it'll be a sermon that I've been working on all week, having no idea of how you would walk in or what you will bring in with you. 
And yet there will be something in that conversation between us. There will be something in that sermon where God says, this is what I want you to hear. Pay attention. Your life will be changed. Hope will be restored. Courage is going to be renewed. And it is not because of the preacher. It is because of the living word of God. And the word of God brings its own season. So Timothy, Paul says, I want you to preach in and out of season. I want you to endure hardships. I want you to stay focused. I want you to do the work of an evangelist and finish your ministry. Finish your ministry. Grab hold of what God has called you to do and run through the tape at the finish line. Timothy, you finish well. Because you don't have as much time as you think you can. And you think you do. Paul reminds us that people will turn away from the truth. Not only will they turn away from truth, but they'll create other places, churches, so to speak. They'll create other groups where the speaker tells them what they already want to hear. And it's this as Paul has read today's headlines. Paul knows the human heart. And he knew what we really want. I want someone to validate what I'm already doing. I want someone to agree with what I already believe and what I already think. So if the pastors won't do it, then we'll go find another pastor. We'll go find another leader. That's why in our day, our nation's greatest spiritual leader is Oprah. Profane men like Joe Rogan and Andrew Tate have become the pastors of men by those who study culture. They find people who will tell them what they already want to hear. And it makes it hard if you're committed to preaching the truth. Paul says, Timothy, you preach anyway. Whether the season's right or not, Because there's ultimately a judgment day coming. And you don't have the time you think you do. You know, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a very familiar story. He says there are two men who build houses. And there's nothing different about the material-wise they use. There's nothing in the design of the house or the craftsmanship of the house. But there's one difference, Jesus says. One builds their house on sand and one builds their house on the rock. And storms come as storms do, and it rains, and the wind blows, and the house on sand falls, and the house on the rock does it. And the only difference between those two houses is where they decide to build their foundation. Now, if you've ever built a house or ever seen a house built, you know that the foundation is the first decision you make. How will you lay the foundation? So that the foundation and the ground it is can consort the house it is built on. But you don't make that decision in the middle of a storm. You don't make that decision in the middle of hard times. You make that decision first. You make that decision right now. Paul says to everyone who follows Christ. There will be tough days. Your storm, my storm is coming. 
and you can count on that. And when it comes, whether you survive that storm is dependent on the decision that you make right now. Right now. So what will you build the foundation of your life on? You're not to live this way, Paul tells Timothy. We're not to live that way, Paul tells you and me. Why? Because you're building your life on the foundation of God and his word that will never fail. So choose wisely. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love that is poured out for each and every one of us. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and showed us how to live wisely, how to love you fully and completely, how to love each other, to how to, to live a life well, faithfully and fully, but then went to the cross, taking upon himself the sins of all of us. And now because of his sacrifice, we are free from Satan, sin, and self. And now we can live a life worthy of our calling. We can live a life completely and fully, faithfully, loyally, and true. God, thank you for Paul's testimony. Paul's words to Timothy, for Timothy, for passing it down to his church. For the other churches for over thousands of years to hand them down and here we are. We're encouraged once again by the saints that are around us. Watch us right now who've gone before us. Who are cheering each and every one of us on this morning. Keep the faith. Remain true. Finish your ministry. Finish your race. Run it well. Do it now. God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who has not committed their life to you, that this be the morning where they say, I need to make that decision. Don't need to put it off any longer. Right now, I need to make sure that Jesus Christ is my foundation. He is that which I'm going to build everything on. My life, my relationships, God, I need a solid rock in the world that just keeps on spinning and doing crazy things. I need a rock that is solid and true. God, I need you. God, I pray that there is someone here, if they've been putting that decision off this morning, they no longer put it off. Let this be the day. Put a stake in the ground. I say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I want you to be the leader of my life, the teacher of my life, the forgiver of my sins. God, I want to be your apprentice. I want to follow Jesus and try to live a Jesus kind of life. That is the only life to live. God, I pray that you'll be with each and every one of us too who have already made that decision. Help us not to grow weary. Help us not to get discouraged when it gets tough tell us over and over again, there will be trials. But God, we get to do it with you. Regardless of what we go through, we do it together. 
Every moment that we have is a gift. God, help us to just steward our moments well. Help us to love you completely and fully. Help us to love those around us with all that we have. Because God, we never know how much time we have. But help us to steward our days. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.